get into your word. Father, we just thank you so much for this opportunity to learn by your spirit the truths of your word because this is what sets us free. We shall know the truth and the truth makes us free. And I expect to see people in here get this revelation and become not just hearers of your word, but by your grace be doers of it. And because we're doers of it, we shall be blessed. We shall be empowered to prosper. We believe that and we thank you for it now. Holy Spirit, have your way. Illuminate our hearts. I believe the seed and water of the word will go into fertile ground. I declare it. I expect it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 12, 7. And as you're turning there, I want to remind you of the subject we've been in, we're talking about in here for some time. Uh, that is what manner of Je- man Jesus was when he walked the earth. And what manner of man or woman each one of us should be. How many know that we're empowered with the same spirit? How many know that we can operate in the same kind of faith that Jesus operated in? Why? Because we have access to the word of God. Jesus heard from his father and he simply stepped out and did it. We, ha- we can hear from God. Listen, right here. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, so we can have the same ability to step out and do the things that Jesus did. Again, what does John 14, 12 say? Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes on me, the works that I do, you shall do also. And greater works than these shall you do because I go to my Father. Hallelujah. And so what we've been looking at is how Jesus did things. As followers of Christ, we're supposed to do it like he did it. We're supposed to pray like he prayed. We're supposed to operate in authority like he operated in authority. We're supposed to operate in the love of God like he operated in in, in the love of God. We're, We're called, listen, we're called to be found faithful like Jesus was found faithful. And now most recently, we've been talking about suffering. That just sounds like such a wonderful topic, doesn't it? Suffering. How many have ever heard someone say, you're suffering for Jesus? Someone says, yeah, I'm pastoring over in Hawaii. Suffering for Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. But how many know that Jesus suffered while he was here on this earth? If Jesus suffered, then we should expect to suffer. In fact, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 2.23, when they hurled their insults at him. He basically, he's given us the example to follow after right here. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. How many like to retaliate when somebody does you wrong? I'm just keeping it real. Is it really you, though, or is it your flesh? Now, honestly, that's something important to understand. Because the real you, the born-again you, the new creation you, really doesn't want to retaliate that way. The real you, the person on the inside, the one that's alive unto God, the child of God, wants to operate in the love of God. And that's how you can really tell whether you've really developed in the love of God or not, is when you, they are hurling insults at you, instead of retaliating, you bless. You pray. See how I'm saying that? But Jesus has given us his example. They hurled their insults at him. He did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no, no threats. Instead, here we go is the key, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. 
Glory to God. In, in other words, instead of responding to his flesh, he responded to his heart. Hello? And he did things from the, from the uh, perspective of the love of God. And how many know that that's important for us to learn to do too? We've got to learn to commit those serious challenges we face in this life, and we all will face them. I don't care who you are. I don't care how many years you've been walking with God. You're going to face challenges in your life. Jesus said in this world, you will have challenges. You will have tests. You will have trials. You will have tribulations. Sufferings will come against you. But be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Why? Because he's already overcome the world. All we got to do is remind ourselves, I'm in him. And because I'm in him, I overcome the world. I'm a world overcomer. That means no matter what this world throws at me, I can overcome it. And that should give me cheer. Hallelujah. That should make me happy. And listen. as well, that, was a, that was a weird listen. Listen. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Listen. I don't know what it is with that word today. Praise the Lord. Listen. <laughs> Hallelujah. When we learn to commit it to God. When we learn to commit it to God. Like Jesus did. Entrust ourselves to him. Entrust ourselves to him. When we do that. That basically gives him the legal right to then begin working on our behalf and how many know that God knows what he's doing how many know that God's got our back how many know know that he'll never leave us nor forsake us he will lead us to victory and plus one of the things that's going to happen and we saw it in the life of Jesus is when we're going through something like this it matures us it helps us to grow up in the things of God I want to continue to grow up in fact, it's sometimes it amazes me because all of a sudden, when I'm going through a test or a trial, I'll realize by the way I'm responding to it, whether I'm, what's the word I'm looking for, Lord? I'm truly maturing or not. I'm tr- truly growing up or not. You know how I'm saying that? You're able to, to measure yourself by how you're responding to what you're going through. That's where you can find out whether the, you know, it's happening, or is it just words coming out of your mouth? Whether you're growing up, or you're still that little baby over there wearing diapers. I want to grow up. It doesn't matter how long you've been walking with God. If you're still a, a baby spiritually, if you're still responding out of your flesh, if you're still a carnal Christian, you're still wearing baby diapers. In the spirit realm, of course, I'm talking. Praise God, I couldn't imagine. Never mind. Pastor Jim over at Missoula Bible Church wanted me to put on baby diapers one time when he was teaching along these lines about growing up spiritually. And I had to put my foot down and say, no, I will not do it. But didn't somebody do that? Aaron, one of them, actually, one of these people over there actually did that. Put on diapers. I just don't, never mind. Okay, let's get off of that. But anyway, praise the Lord. So, Uh, Then we looked at a few examples of how the early church reacted to the sufferings they faced 
when living for Jesus and preaching the gospel message. We saw in the case of Peter and John, they were beaten by the religious leaders for preaching in the name of Jesus, and they rejoiced that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. They rejoiced that they got beat. I don't know about you, but when I'm getting beaten, I, when my daddy used to beat me, that sounds so wrong, doesn't it? When he used to spank me, and I deserved it the majority of the time, I don't think I ever had a time where I was laughing. <laughs> this is great, Dad. No. But these, Peter and John, they laughed. They rejoiced that they could suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And then last week we finished, or actually it's been a few weeks ago now, we began to look at the Apostle Paul and his response to the many sufferings that he encountered over the years. As he went about preaching and teaching and healing in the name of Jesus, we saw how he was put in prison. He was given 39 lashes from the Jewish leaders five times. He was beaten with rod three times. He was shipwrecked three times. And he basically faced danger wherever he went from supposed friends, and from foes alike. Now look there at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 7. This is how Paul responded to all the sufferings he faced. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, the thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, again, I said a couple of weeks ago, this is referred to by many as we're talking about Paul's thorn in the flesh, where a whole bunch of people believe that Paul asked the Lord three times in these verses to be healed, but every time he was turned down. But once again, I must ask you this morning, is that what these verses actually say? Did Paul go to the Lord to receive healing, uh, uh, something that Jesus has obtained for all believers? I said for all believers through his redemptive work. And Paul was told, no, you cannot be healed. But here's my grace to help you live with that sickness, that ailment for the rest of your life. Is that what Paul said to him? I mean, excuse me, what Jesus said to him. Is that what's written here? It's so important you get this. Is that how Jesus responded to Paul? Even though I took those stripes upon my back, and even though I bore your sicknesses and carried your diseases when I died on that cross, and even though I, uh, I've been raised from the dead and now sit at the right hand of the Father uh, in the heavenly places, and your redemption is paid in full, you cannot have what I purchased for you. Does that even make any sense? I don't believe that's what he said here. That's not the way our good and loving God is. That is not the way Jesus is. 
Now last week we began to go through these verses to try to determine what these verses actually mean based off of the Greek meaning of these different words in these verses. And so far we've seen that Paul was obviously referring to the vast revelations he received from Jesus by the Holy Spirit when he stated, unless I be, shall be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. Did the Apostle Paul receive abundance of revelation? I mean, you can go through the New Testament, and he wrote the majority of it. So did he receive abundance of revelation? Now, why is this so important to understand? Why is this so important to understand? I want you to get this. Because Paul wasn't being persecuted, get this, for not living for God. He was being persecuted for living for God. Did you hear that? Paul did not receive the persecution because he wasn't living for God. He received the persecution because he was living for God. Do you hear that? So important. And because of these tremendous insights that Paul was given, the verse goes on to say, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan. Everybody say a messenger of Satan. Was this messenger from God? A messenger of Satan. Everybody say a messenger of Satan. Why am I having you repeat this? Because, again, so many people like to say that God was doing this to, to Paul. It was not God. It's a messenger of Satan. A messenger of Satan to buffet Paul, to buffet me. So can we all agree in here today that this thorn in the flesh was a messenger from the devil sent to buffet Paul over and over and over again, which we clearly saw in 2 Corinthians 11 a couple weeks back. Do we, or can we all agree with that? Amen? In other words, the devil was pulling out all stops to come against Paul and the revelations he had received from the Lord so that he would not be able to share those revelations with others and so that he wouldn't have a highly effective ministry and with that said i want to look again at the words lest i should be exalted above measure now, once again if you were here a couple weeks back i brought out the point that a whole lot of people firmly believe this is talking about keeping paul from being lifted up in pride but not only does this not make sense for the devil to do things to paul to keep him out of pride When he knows that pride is what God kid him kicked out of heaven, hello? But he also knows this, that that would mean that the God and the devil are on the same team. <laughs> Friends, to believe that God, who is life and light and peace and joy and freedom and everything else that is good and, and, and kind and of love... And the devil who is death and darkness and strife and perversion and everything else evil and bad are working together is ignorance gone to seed. Our God wants nothing more than to bless us, 
to provide for us, to be there for us, to see us live successfully and victoriously. While the devil wants nothing more than to destroy us, to kill us, to steal from us. They're not on the same team. In fact, they're not even on the same playing field. I hope you're listening this morning. God has already defeated the devil through what Jesus did at the cross. And the fact that he's been raised up from the dead. And because of our faith in Jesus, get this. Because of our faith in Jesus, what he accomplished, we now have authority over the devil as well. Because of what Jesus accomplished, we now have authority over the devil as well. I'm going to say it one more time. Because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished, we now have authority over the devil. And we didn't even have to fight the battle. That's why the Bible tells us that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Woo, that's shouting grounds. I didn't even have to fight the battle, but I got the authority over the devil. Woo, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Praise his holy name. So we concluded last week, no, a couple weeks ago, excuse me, by reading to you several words. And I want to read these words to you once again. Covet, hate, jealousy, anger, and sorrow. And your response for each one of those words when I read them the first time was one of that they were negative words. They were bad words, were things we should try to avoid. And when those things arise in our lives, when we have yielded to the flesh, we should avoid. We should avoid anger. We should avoid hatred. We should avoid uh, uh, covetousness. We should avoid uh, sorrow and jealousy when it has to do with our flesh. But we also saw that those very same words can be seen in a positive light right here in the Bible. We're called to covet the gifts of the Spirit. We're called to hate evil and sin. We're called to, uh, we saw that our God is a jealous God. We saw that Jesus got angry with a righteous indignation and drove out the money changers from his father's house. And we saw how godly sorrow leads to repentance. So each one of those words, although when you first heard it, came across as a negative word, can be in a, seen in a positive light. Is everybody with me so far? So what about these words, this phrase, lest I be exalted above measure? Could that possibly have a godly and positive side to it? Oh, I firmly believe so, guys. What does the phrase, lest I should be exalted above measure, actually, excuse me, mean in the Greek? It means this. To go beyond the usual mark. You got to write that down. To go beyond the usual mark. For example, in the Olympic Games. How many of you have ever seen the Olympics before? They have several events where people throw stuff. Shot put, discus, javelin. Let's just say that they're, they're the, the, let's just use the discus, okay? So all of these different countries get up. And these big old dudes get up there and they throw their discus. And it's within a couple inches of one another. But then the United States guy gets up there. He grabs onto the discus and he just lets it rip. And it goes several feet past everybody else. Then we would say that he went beyond the usual mark. That's what that means there. 
That's what those words mean there. Are you listening? And I firmly believe, listen, I believe Paul is saying here, lest I should be exalted above measure, lest I should go beyond the usual mark, because of the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. You see, now get this. This messenger from Satan was not sent to keep Paul humble and out of pride. It was sent to keep Paul and his ministry from going beyond the usual mark. It was sent to keep him from having a highly effective ministry. You see that? Doesn't that make a whole lot more sense? That Satan would dispatch one of his demonic ministries to buffet Paul and try to wear him down and discourage him and, and do whatever he could to keep his ministry from going beyond the usual mark. And as we've seen in 2 Corinthians 11, this demon, this demon that had been assigned to him, this messenger from Satan, he did a tremendous job, didn't he? I mean, he came against Paul wherever he went, everywhere he went. I mean, like I said before, Paul bought, brought revival, but he also got, caused all kinds of rioting going on because of the things he was bringing forth, the truth of the word that he was bringing forth, the healings that he was doing in the name of Jesus. And what was happening was this demon was trying to keep Paul from having a highly effective and successful ministry. See, once Paul turned his life over to Jesus... And he began to go out and preach and teach in his name. And began to perform miracles in his name. The devil saw what was happening. Are you listening? So I'm sure what happened one day. Come here, James. You get to be the messenger of Satan. And this is going to be hard for you to believe, but I'm going to be Satan. So here's what I believe happened. After Paul's out there and he's doing all this work, and he looks at him, he says, hey, you see what this guy's doing? You see all these good works he's doing, all these people getting healed? I can't have that. I cannot, I can't have that. I want you to go, and I want you to buffet him, and I want you to come against him, and I'll, if you can, I want you to kill him. What happened? Okay, sit down. Now I'm back. Pastor Dan's back. I believe that's what happened. He dispatched this messenger of Satan to go and buffet Paul because he was trying to keep Paul from having a highly effective ministry that went beyond the usual mark. But how many know that the devil didn't succeed? How many know that Paul was able to have a highly successful ministry? When you're able to write two-thirds of the New Testament, you had a highly successful ministry. Amen. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. But how did he get there? How did he get to that place where he was able to have that go beyond the usual mark? I'm going to read this. I want to read this first now. First, before I do that, 2 Corinthians 12, 7. I want to substitute in these findings based upon the Greek meaning of these words. So this is actual Greek meaning of these words. And lest I should go beyond the usual mark, and have a highly effective and successful ministry, ministry because of all the insight and revelation God gave me. A thorn in the flesh was given to me. A messenger of Satan to buffet me. To hit me with repeated blows. Lest I go beyond the usual mark and have 
a highly effective ministry. Once again, doesn't that make a whole lot more sense than the devil trying to keep Paul out of pride? Amen. Now notice verse 8. Let's continue on. Concerning this thing, this thorn in the flesh, this messenger from Satan, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Now, can I ask you a question? Knowing what the Apostle Paul went through, we read, I generally gave you an overview of what he went through. What kind of a response would you have had if you had to go through what he went through? I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't want to go through one time of having 39 stripes across my back with what they call that, that Roman uh, uh, whip, the flagrum. It had all those bones and stuff and pieces of glass and pieces of sharp objects at the end of it. Pull, gets into your flesh and rips your flesh off. One time would have been enough for me. But he had it done five times, 39, three times, 39 times each time. I would have been going to God and say, hey God, I'm living for you. I'm going out and I'm preaching the word for you. I'm healing in the name of Jesus. Why am I going through all of this? Remove it from me, God. Wouldn't you? And verse 9 says, And he, speaking of Jesus, said to me, Now get this, My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now, For a whole lot of people, once again, they believe that when Paul prayed for God to take this away, that God's reply was no. That God said no. But nowhere in the scriptures, in these set of scriptures, does God say no to Paul. Nowhere. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. So, again, how would we define Paul's thorn? I'm I'm going somewhere with this. How do we define Paul's thorn? It's right there. A messenger from, it's a messenger of Satan. Now, I want to, I said that because I want to say this. I firmly believe that Paul's thorn in the flesh had nothing to do with sickness. I want you to get that. Paul's thorn in the flesh had nothing to do with sickness. Many people have taught for years. Now, get this, they've taught this in the church for years. That Paul was sick and that God wouldn't heal him. Proving that it's not God's will to heal everybody. I've had people leave this church because of that very reason. For that reason right there. And and I, I, because I had asked the person, show me in the Bible where somebody came to Jesus and Jesus turned them away and said, I can't heal you. It's not my father's will for you. And they said right there, Paul's thorn in the flesh. That Paul went to and asked for his healing, and Jesus told him no. So don't tell me that this doesn't happen. The person left this church because of it. And I, I, I love the person. I want nothing but God's best for that person. But does that mean I change what I believe based upon the scriptures? It's just like too many people justify things that have happened in their lives or in their loved one's lives by making the word fit their circumstance instead of having this word change their circumstance. See how I'm saying that? Oh, my goodness gracious. 
Nothing is further from the truth, my friends. It goes totally contrary to everything the word has to say on healing, including what Paul himself wrote about the redemptive work of Christ. Did you know that God, I mean, that Apostle Paul talked that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law? That was the Apostle Paul writing that by the Spirit. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Guess what falls from the curse of the law? Sickness and disease. He's redeemed us from sickness and disease. He paid the price for us so we don't have to be sick no more. I know I'm getting a little loud and excited, but my goodness, this is such good revelation to get. And so, for sit there and say that Jesus wouldn't allow him to have what Jesus has already paid for, that doesn't make sense. Why would he do it? Why would you? Everything Jesus did, he did for everybody. He took all of man's sins upon himself. He was made sin with our sin. Everybody's. How many know that salvation is already available to everybody? You believe that? You can go anywhere right now in this world and walk up to somebody and say, did you know salvation is available for you right now? Because it's the truth. But what does that include? Was it just our ticket into heaven? Thank God for that. But was that all there was? Go back and study redemption. Our redemption includes also healing instead of sickness. Our redemption includes freedom instead of bondage. Our our redemption includes divine provision instead of lack and poverty. These are the things Jesus did for us. He accomplished for us. Listen, it has been, these things are yours. Your names are, your, your name's already on it. You don't have, oh, glory to God, I'm getting myself preached up right now. It's Christmas time. There's presents under the tree. Some of those presents, hopefully, maybe, have your name on it. And so Christmas Day rolls around. And everybody gets their gifts and starts opening it up because their name was on that package. But you sit there and you look at your gifts and you say, I'm not worthy to receive that. I cannot have that in my life. I am not worthy to open that package. It's yours. Have it. It's yours. Take it, take it, take it, take it. Open it up, open it. It's yours. No, I can't do that. Or, or somebody sits back and says, you can't have that package Oh, yes, I can. No, you can't. It's not for you. Oh, yes, it is. My name's on it. And you, I know this would be true with Riley. Riley, you can't have that package. Oh, yes, I can. Uh, No, you can't have that one. Oh, you want to see? You want to watch? She's persnickety. She, she, She will, she punches me sometimes. And get this. Worse of all, she pinches with her toes. I, you might think I'm jesting, but that girlfriend, she could sit there and all of a sudden, we are, and just your, your toes go up and pinch you and just like leaves bruises. Brooke came, Brooke came home for a little bit. She did that to Brooke and left a bruise on, I mean, a huge, bru- a, a, huge Brooke, a huge bruise on Brooke's arm. She t- pinched me in the leg, left a bruise on my leg. I don't know how we got off on this, but we did. There you go. Oh, I know how it is because not allowing her to have the gift that has her name on it. 
That's how it is in the spirit realm. All of these gifts are already yours. So when Paul went to God and said, hey, I need my healing. And for Jesus to turn around and say, you can't have it. But my name's on it. Nope, can't have it, can't have it, can't have it. Isn't that stupid? I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to isolate people and call them stupid, but it's, it's, it's ignorance gone to see. He's already paid the price. Do you want to know how you bring God glory? Listen, do you want to know how you bring God glory? Take advantage of all he's done for you. Take advantage of all he's done for you. He wants you to take advantage of the things he's provided for you. We are heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. All he accomplished is written down in this holy Bible. This covenant. This is the last will and testament of Jesus Christ. I can go in here and find out what belongs to me because I'm a joint heir with Christ. And healing is a part of that. Are you with me? Glory to God. I thank you for receiving all of that today. Praise you, Jesus. But you know what happens? Now listen to this. because I'll close in just a second. Listen to this. In many Bibles, now to get this, in many Bibles, this section of scriptures is cross-referenced with Galatians chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, where it talks about Paul having a physical infirmity. Many theologians like to use those scriptures to prove that Paul did indeed have a sickness. And he was referring to it when he was talking about his thorn in the flesh over in 2 Corinthians 12. But what they fail to take into consideration here is that when Paul was ministering to the churches in Galatia, I want you to hear this. It was directly after he had been stoned and left for dead. Question mark. How would you look right after you were stoned and left for dead? They thought he was dead. They don't just throw one rock at you, friends. They keep throwing, they pummel you with these rocks. Do you not think you would have gashes all over your body? Do you not think you'd have bruises all over your body? Do you not think blood would be pouring from your body? I know that when Paul went back to minister to these churches, he probably had cleaned some of the blood up and his, you know, and so forth and so on. But listen, just think if he got hit in the eyes, because that's what a lot of people like to say, because he says in Galatians, you would have plucked out your eyes for me. How many know if you got hit in the eye with a big old rock, your eye's going to be swollen? So all of a sudden, he, and many people believe, many people believe that when Paul, when it says he was left for dead, that he actually died there. And his disciples, and that's when he got the revelation, when he's called up to heaven, the third heaven, and got all those revelations about that, that that's when that happened. But anyway, so here's Paul, right after this goes down, he gets back up, and the Bible says he went back to those churches in that same area to preach the gospel again. So think about it. He shows back up, and his eyes are swollen shut because of the rocks that had hit him. Gashes. You know, they, I don't know if they gave people stitches back then. But you know he was a, a bloody mess. And so when they looked at him, they're probably going, oh, my goodness. What has happened to him? Was it a sickness? I said, was it a sickness? Again, I go back to 2 Corinthians 11 when he went through that whole litany of things he had suffered through. He had gone through. Not one time did he mention sickness and disease. Not once. So here he is. He's going through all of this in Galatians. And, and they're like going, 
what, what's up, dude? What happened to you? And I'm sure he explained what happened to them. But I'm sure he stood up and said this. That's not going to keep me from preaching and teaching the gospel. I'm going to keep preaching and teaching the gospel because I know this is truth. This is what God has called me to do. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm trying to see where I can stop at. I'll make this statement. Paul's thorn in the flesh is a messenger of Satan sent to buffet him. Now get this. In other words, the thorn in the flesh was Satan's ability released against Paul. Did you hear that? So then, what is the grace of God? Referred to here in verse 9. Where it says, my grace is sufficient for you. The grace of God was God's ability released toward Paul. Enabling him to keep on standing. No matter what the enemy threw at him. The thorn in the flesh was Satan's ability released against Paul. The grace of God was God's ability released toward Paul. That's huge. You're going to see right here another huge key. If you're going to get, go through the sufferings that you will eventually go through, if you're not already going through them, this is a huge key right here. We commit it all to God. We entrust it to the one who no, judges justly on our behalf. And then we do this. Thanks to the grace of God. God's ability released for us, toward us. How many know that God's grace Greater than anything the enemy could ever throw at us. Oh, I tell you, I tell you, I'm getting a greater revelation of this. And I am yielding myself to God's grace more than ever. I, your grace is sufficient for me. My flesh is crying out. But I say, God, your grace is sufficient for me. Your grace can enable me to overcome this. Your divine ability can enable me to overcome no matter what it is. I face no matter how great the challenge. And if I ever start to have a little pity party, I need to remind myself of what the Apostle Paul went through. Amen. And we're going to get more into this. We're going to stop right there. But I want you to, to say this one more time. The thorn in the flesh was Satan's ability released against Paul. The grace of God was God's ability released towards Paul. I want you to think about that. Ponder that. Ponder it and go over it. And we're going to pick this back up because I want to share the rest of what this means here. Because I believe you're going to be shouting like I was shouting when I was studying this. God wants you and me. Now listen, God wants you and me to go beyond the usual mark. God wants us to have highly successful ministries. My goodness, that hit me. He wants everybody in here to have a highly successful ministry. To go beyond the usual mark. He wants to exalt us. Oh, I hope you're hearing me. And we're going to get into that too. But so for a lot of people, they're like, oh, no, wait a minute. That doesn't make sense. I thought we were called to be humble. Under his mighty hand. Oh, we are. Oh, we are. He wants to exalt us. You're going to see that in the scriptures. Wants us to have highly effective ministries. 
How many expect to have a highly effective ministry? How many know that God's ability released toward us is greater than the devil's ability released against us? Greater is he that is in me than he that is eternally defeated in this world. I've got the victorious one living in me, which means I get to live in victory. Hallelujah. But in order to live in victory means I have to go through the tests and trials, the challenges this life throws at me. That's okay, because I know I'm coming out on the other side victorious. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for the word of God this morning. I believe your word is truth. I'm asking you.